Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics. The stench must be purged, even if the minister heeds conservative calls to resign. A newly released recording revives an old question. Did the Trudeau government interfere with the police operation investigating the worst mass casualty event in this country's history? Also. Overall, the tone, uh, I would say, was very uh, antagonistic. Infighting and confusion. We'll get some reaction to this week's testimony at the public inquiry examining the use of the Emergencies Act. A clear picture is emerging of a divided local police force in the face of a determined protest. And our Friday journalists panel will give us their take on the week's events. This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. Conservatives are once again calling for Minister Bill Blair's resignation. It comes one day after a recorded conversation between RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky and her subordinates was released by the Mass Casualty Commission in Nova Scotia. Now in those calls, Lucky refers to a ministerial office request to release information about the weapons used. Conservative House Leader Andrew Scheer says that contradicts the story House members heard from Bill Blair earlier and had this to say. The RCMP commissioner is now on tape saying that she needed a line to be put in press conference remarks about an RCMP investigation in order to be able to, quote, come through for the minister on, quote, the simplest of requests to accommodate information relevant to soon-to-be-announced firearms laws, not having succeeded and not being satisfied with one apology. The minister was on the line looking for accountability because the commissioner had dropped the ball. The minister's comments to the House in June simply do not hold water. There is no other way to put it. He has misled this House, and he and the Commissioner of the Royal Canadian Mountain Police have both misled the Public Safety Committee. The Conservative House leader's call comes on the same day that the Liberal handgun freeze comes into effect. And to talk about both, we're now joined by the Parliamentary Secretary to the Public Safety Minister, Pam DeMoff. She is also the Liberal Member of Parliament for the riding of Oakville North, Burlington in Ontario. Ms. DeMoff, thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. So I definitely uh, want to talk about the handgun ban, but I, I do need to begin with the Mass Casualty Commission, which I'm sure you understand, because yesterday the commission in Nova Scotia released audio recordings of conversations between the RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky and officers in the province who were really investigating the worst mass shooting in this country's history. Now, as you know, she expressed frustration that those officers did not include the kind of weapon used in the killings and in the recording, Commissioner Lucky says she had talked to the minister and would be speaking with the prime minister about the absence of that information. Was she talking about Bill Blair, the former public safety minister? Well, I, I, the commissioner appeared at the public safety committee not that long ago, as did Minister Blair, and both have denied any 
uh, kind of interference in the uh, in the investigation or in the release of of handguns. Uh, Commissioner Lucky was quite clear when she appeared, and so I I think I'll just leave it with what she said. Uh, we don't, as a government, interfere with police operations, and Commissioner was the commissioner was quite clear that she was not did not feel that there was any pressure whatsoever from the minister's office. Except in the recording, and as quoted by the, the Conservative House Leader Andrew Scheer today, uh, she is quoted and recorded as saying that she was uh, answering to the minister, explaining the frustration with the, the minister directed by the minister. And now we have Andrew Scheer calling on Bill Blair, the current minister for emergency preparedness, to resign or at the very least have the House investigate him for misleading members in the House by saying that neither the PMO nor his office interfered with the operations? Well, I, I mean, first, let me let me just acknowledge and, and extend sympathy to the families in Nova Scotia. If, if we remember at the time, this was this was just a horrific, horrific shooting. And absolutely, the Prime Minister and the Minister of Public Safety uh, would need to be involved in getting updates from the commissioner. This was this was a, an, an incredible tragedy. So it's not the least bit unusual for the commissioner to speak with uh, the minister of public safety to give him updates on what was happening on the ground in Nova Scotia. That's not at all unusual. Except, but there again. certainly was no direction. Um, Minister Blair and the commissioner have said there was no direction given to her. Um, there was no political interference whatsoever. Well, except, and again, going to the recording, we hear Commissioner Lucky say that this goes to legislation that your government is trying to pass that would eventually or uh, protect officers on the ground like the RCMP. So if that's not connecting the dots in the recording, despite what is said uh, outside of that recording, how does not that not uh, show that there was some type of government interference here? Well, I bet the commissioner would know that the government was working on legislation because the commissioner would have been involved in, in advising the government on uh, that type of legislation. And not only that, she acknowledged that the legislation would be uh, helpful in, in um, protecting police officers. So, I, I mean, to think that the commissioner was not aware of what was coming forward with regards to firearms, I mean, you know, the chief fire, the, the RCMP are the the, uh, the people in the government who are enforcing uh, through the chief firearms officer the legislation we bring in. So she would certainly be aware of, of what we, it was in our platform. Uh, we ran on introducing this. So it was no secret that we were going to be bringing forward legislation when it came to firearms. That wasn't, that wasn't confidential in any way, shape or form. It was, it was part of the platform we ran on. But to be clear, the, the, the assertion here and the concern here, at least as expressed by Andrew Shear today, is that Bill Blair misled members of the House by saying that his ministry, he, his government did not direct in any way any part of the, the operations, including communications. And one simple way to clarify that is to answer one call that we have from Mr. Shear to release more information to the House and let the House determine whether or not they were misled by the former uh, minister, uh, current minister of emergency preparedness. Do you think that might be a step of clarifying this? Well, I, I'll be honest with you, I haven't heard, I haven't seen what Mr. Shear put before the House, but it's before the House and we'll let that process proceed as it will.
Okay. Now, of course, this happens as your government's ban on handguns uh, goes into effect today, a ban which, uh, going back to the Conservatives, they say, and others along with them, that it does not solve the issue because criminals do not register their firearms in the first place. So how does this ban help bring down the level of crime? Well, I think it's important to recognize that gun violence is just is not solely uh, people who are dying in crime. And we had uh, heard from the doctors for protection from guns who talk about people being five times more likely to die if there's uh, a firearm in the home. So whether that's by suicide, whether it's gender-based violence, we know that the more guns that are out there, the more likely people are to die. So I am incredibly proud of the fact that the handgun freeze has gone into effect today. And, and I was in Toronto uh, with uh, Minister Ian, as, along with the Danforth families, Mothers for Peace and, and the Doctors uh, for Protection from Guns, who are all supportive and who all recognize that this is one tool in keeping Canadians safe. One tool, and there is a bigger package coming down the pipe. So what is the next step? Well, it's not that it's coming down the pipe, we're doing it. So we're investing in communities through the Building Safers Communities Fund and through other investments we've made on anti-gang, uh, you know, helping youth make the right choices and supporting community organizations who are doing good work across the country. Um, we're also making investments in the border to stop gun smuggling. Bill C-21 includes increased um, penalties for gun smuggling. It also includes red flag provisions that will make it easier for um, most you, most often women, but also those who may be concerned about uh, someone at risk of suicide for getting guns out of the home. Ms. Damoff, thank you for this. Really appreciate the time today. You're welcome. Thank you. The inquiry looking into the use of the Emergencies Act ended its first full week of testimony. And if there's one emerging narrative so far, it's about chaos and dysfunction within the ranks of the Ottawa Police Service. Take a listen to what we heard from Carson Party, the former chief superintendent for the Ontario Provincial Police, as he describes the reception his team got when they arrived to help. The meeting overall, the tone, uh, I would say, was very... Uh, antagonistic, uh, it was disrespectful uh, uh, in, in terms of we're there, we're there to help and uh, he's just not trusting it. It was very clear he had confidence issues uh, in what we were there to do. Now, Party was talking about the former police chief for the Ottawa service and for his reaction to all this, we're now reaching out to Mathieu Fleury. He is the outgoing city councillor for a ward in Ottawa that borders the protest red zone. Matthew Flody, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. So the first full week of testimony has just wrapped up. And really in this first week, we're getting this idea, this picture of an Ottawa police service that to hear it from the OPP was dysfunctional and disorganized. As one who lived through the protest as a city councillor, how do you feel when you hear that description? A sad state of the reality we were all facing um, we, we as elected officials and stakeholders were interacting with the police chief. Usually we were able to have information at different levels through the ranks at the inspector level or, or, um, or deputy chiefs. In this case, we weren't. And now when we're seeing the various interactions and, and challenges and debates, and we, we kind of see how there was no plan and there wasn't a cohesive understanding of what was happening and how to solve it. 
you know, I, I'm unfortunately not surprised. And I think the, the purpose of the inquiry hopefully gets into the depth of, of the challenges between authorities uh, in the capital, uh, the local police, the provincial uh, Ontario police, as well as the RCMP. Well, you mentioned police, and one other thing that has been revealed in this uh, this week of testimony has less to do with police, but more about political leadership, because we heard from Jim Watson that while he and the prime minister were trying to have meetings with the province regarding the protest, the premier apparently did not want to get involved in those meetings. How do you react to that revelation? I'm not surprised. Uh, we, uh, we in Ottawa often feel that Queen's Park is far from us. And I know that our neighbors in Gatineau feel the same way about their provincial government being in Quebec City. Uh, often people think that Ottawa and Gatineau are the federal government. We're not. We're, we're, we're cities and we report right into uh, the provincial government. And in this case, I believe the mayor acted too late in declaring a state of emergency. And also through that period, we, we certainly didn't get the political leadership provincially that we needed here in the capital. Although conversations were happening between Ottawa police, the OPP and the RCMP, the, the political leadership, as you can now see, wasn't aligned. And ultimately, we residents of Ottawa and leaders in Ottawa were, were directly impacted by this uh, the siege, the occupation that took too long to resolve. Well, there's now discussion question as to whether or not the premier should be called before the commission. He's not right now scheduled to appear, but do you think the premier should be called to testify? I think so. Absolutely. When when local uh, governments and chiefs are faced with a situation like the, the one we have, and when the federal government needs to intervene, and when there's resources, requirements, and tools that exist within uh, the provincial jurisdiction, it's important that the review be comprehensive, looking at uh, the situation of what areas and elements uh, remain you know, questionable or, or challenged, and, and a go forward. And, and that's where you know folks like me are interested in is how do we ensure that this never happens again in Ottawa as a capital city? How do we ensure that if there are risk areas that all levels of government on the political side are, are more aligned on the senior management side as well as policing authorities? Right now, we can easily see by the testimonies at the inquiry that all three of those areas uh, were, were had massive disconnects uh, which created the length of um, of challenges that we face uh, in the city, uh, being occupation, the occupation, and all the pressure that uh, that posed on on residents and businesses that for many were closed throughout the those 24 days. Mm -hmm. I have less than a minute, but I have to ask you because you know ultimately this commission must determine whether or not the Trudeau government was justified in using the Emergencies Act. Do you think it was necessary? Look, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know the specifics of the act. I just see a direct correlation between when the act was uh, was enacted and the dismantling of the occupation. So, you know, I, 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 I'm no constitutional lawyer. I don't know. But as a local counselor, I see a direct correlation with a, a dismantling of and, and police operations uh, following uh, the, the invocation of, of the Emergencies Act. Mathieu Fleury, really appreciate the time today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. As we noted earlier, a recently released recording of a phone call involving the RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky is reviving calls for the resignation of Minister Bill Blair. Take another listen to the Conservative House Leader, Andrew Scheer. 
referring to the transcript title audio file 2 of 3 recorded on 2020-04-28 at 8.42 p.m. We read at lines 10 to 15 on page 2, quote, does anybody realize what's going on in the world of handguns and guns right now? The fact that they're going, that they're in the middle of trying to get legislation going is the key point. That is the quote from that testimony, Madam Speaker, and I'll just read it again very quickly. Does anybody realize what's going on in the world of handguns and guns right now? The fact that they're in the middle of trying to get legislation going. There is the direct link between the government's partisan political agenda and the interference in an active investigation into a tragic shooting that left 22 innocent Canadians dead. The RCMP on the ground had reason not to release that information. The government is putting political pressure on those officers to release that information, which could have jeopardized their ongoing efforts to track the events that led to the tragic shooting. So, to talk about the issue and the events of this past week, we're now joined by the Friday Journalist Panel. This week, we're joined by Tonda McCharles, Parliamentary Reporter for the Toronto Star, and Joanna Smith, the Auto Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Michael. Hello. So clearly the Conservative House leader feels like the released recording is a uh, smoking gun of sorts. What do you make of the conversation or the portion of the conversation released? Uh, Tonda, I'll begin with you. Well, look, I think it's pretty clear from that recording, and I think we already actually knew it, but there's nothing like hearing it in person. Uh, we heard a, an, a very um, embattled police chief trying to both square the demands for information, which were enormous from the government about what was going on, uh, with a, a force on the ground in Nova Scotia dealing with an unprecedented mass shooting and very much under the gun, having lost one of their officers. I mean, I heard, the portion I heard was tension on all sides and absolutely lucky is conveying that she expected to be able to deliver some information both publicly and to the government about the weapons used in that case. Um, to what extent this is a fatal blow? I think that really uh, remains to be argued out still to this extent. Look, we, the, the inquiry's not over and we haven't heard everybody speak on that. Um, but there's no doubt there were, there were huge pressures on all of them. Joanna, what do you make of it? I think what was interesting about that recording and the transcript was that it it did not quite fully confirm the earlier version of events, um, providing the notes by the Nova Scotia RCMP officers, but it also didn't fully clear them up, right? It, it's clear that at some point there was some kind of request that she was talking about. You know, she said it was a request that I got from the minister's office. But what exactly was the nature of that request remains to be seen. There's there's also some lack of clarity, I think, on this word promised, uh, because the, in, in the officer's notes, they had talked about how she promised this. And there's a point in the transcript where she says, I was promised this. And at this point, she's talking about the chronology of events. So was that a misunderstanding, or was, was the RCMP officer in Nova Scotia referring to her request as a promise. That was a little unclear. So I don't, I don't think it's quite smoking gun material, um, but it, it does close the loop a little bit and that it confirms this conversation happened. And yeah, as Tonda said, I mean, it's it's really clear. There was huge frustrations and tensions, and you could really tell that they were they were in the middle of a, of a chaotic situation. And she clearly was frustrated that uh, this information uh, that she thought was important wasn't out there. And she also, I think it's pretty clear, did have that legislation on her mind.
Now, Mr. Chair would also like recordings, documents released to the House to allow members to decide if they were misled by the former public safety minister. What kind of reaction do you think that will actually get, uh, Tonda? Uh, well, I mean, I think the inquiry is getting documents, and does the House get the same documents or others? Look, I think that the government has been pretty sort of clear that, for example, at the Emergencies Act inquiry, where I am right now, they got cabinet documents on an, uh, an exceptional basis. If Mr. Scheer expects that for every time the Conservatives uh, question whether the government is giving them the straight goods or not, that they'll get cabinet documents, that's not going to happen, and nor would any Conservative government deliver it as well. So I think that might be a wishful thinking. Joanna? I think in this case, it had earlier been unclear whether these recordings even existed or still existed. Um, and then we were surprised yesterday to find out that that they did, and so it was really interesting to hear them, but I don't think we can assume that a recording was made of every case. Okay. Well, let's switch over now uh, to another matter this past week. The Finance Minister, Christian Freeland, uh, continuing on her warning uh, of tough times ahead. Let's take a listen to what we heard earlier in the week. The, the fact is that the government simply cannot compensate every single Canadian for every single additional cost imposed by elevated global inflation. If we were to try to do that, we would be pouring fuel on the inflationary flames. We would just be making the Bank of Canada's job harder and ensuring that inflation lasted longer and that rates went up even higher. You know, what's interesting, Joanna, is that the government started this session by touting uh, their support for Canadians struggling with higher costs and, and now warns that the tap is about to be shut off or at the very least uh, giving out less. What does this say to you about the upcoming fall budget update? I think we will not see the type of spending we saw in the previous one. However, if you remember in the previous one, in the fall of 2021, they were originally planning a quite a different fiscal update and then Omicron came along and threw them for a loop. And there was in fact sort of pages that you could tell were printed relatively late stage um, that really threw things out of whack for them. So you never know what might be coming, but I don't think we're gonna be seeing um, a, a dedicated sort of long planned huge boost in spending beyond the huge boost in spending we've seen previous. I think she's trying to telegraph that Things will be tighter. I don't think that uh, we're going to necessarily venture yet into, you know, the, the truly what's understood by austerity budgets, but it's going to be definitely by contrast much more austere than, than what we've seen in the past couple of years. It has been interesting that, yes, as you said, they've, they've defended all that spending they did to support people through the COVID-19 pandemic. Their critics have said they went too far. Even their friends have said they went too far. Former Bank of Canada governor, Mark Carney, who is himself a liberal, uh, did mention yesterday that perhaps that support went on a bit too long and, and fueled inflation. Um, so we're not we're not seeing her uh, necessarily retract on that. What we are seeing, though, is is this very strong signal that, listen, um, your mortgages are going to go up and interest rates are higher and we cannot help you every single time. But they, they do have these more targeted relief measures on things like, you know, doubling the GST credit for lower income. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting, Tonda, as and people I think talk. That, oh, and I think. Yeah, go go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I think what we've seen now is a political pivot, though, in the messaging from the government. And politically, what is the strategy there? Are they uh, essentially trying to sort of recenter themselves after years of having been uh, a big spending, big tax and spend government, the, the branding that the Conservatives have tried to slap on them? And it, yes, they have a deal with the NDP to remain in government, to remain in power. But I think Freeland's message is very much sort of a pivot to sort of show Canadians and perhaps a swath of voters uh, that the government is going to take also its fiscal responsibilities uh, seriously and rein in some of the spending and that, um, you know, de government departments will now be under orders that, you know, they're going to have to do basically reallocations. Uh, if they want money for some new project, then they're going to have to cut somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, we, we can't uh, end this week without talking about the inquiry looking into the Emergencies Act, where you are right now, Tonda. And really, uh, this past week, we've, we've seen this picture emerge uh, of a police force where there was infighting within the ranks, uh, the OPP calling local Ottawa police leadership dysfunctional, disorganized. And in all of that, the revelation that the Ontario Premier uh, did not want to participate in calls with the Prime Minister and the Ottawa Mayor in the early days of the protest. You know, the Premier, Tonda, is not scheduled to appear before the Commission, but I'm wondering if he would be called, can he be called? Well, he could be called, and um, there are a number of groups that are seeking that he be called, um, that are asking the inquiry to, to summon Mr. Ford. Um, I think that I wouldn't lay bets just yet on whether he'll be coming uh, because, you know, there might be an upside actually at some point and he'll want to come because right now uh, the, the, the inquiry is hearing all kinds of um, suggestions that, you know, his government was not taking it seriously, that they cared about Windsor but they didn't care about Ottawa, that they were not prepared to give Ottawa the help it needed. And that's, that's, that's a black mark for Ford if he chooses to address it. But we will hear from his Solicitor General and other top officials in his government who were on a lot of those calls. So, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't bet that he wouldn't come yet. I mean, I think Doug Ford loves, loves a scrap too, so we'll see. Okay, so we'll see. Uh, listen, I, I need to ask you, too, about what you're looking uh, ahead in the next week of the inquiry. Joanna, I'll begin with you. What are you uh, keeping a very close eye on for next week? Well, I think just just more of that communications mess and just how badly that played into things um, and just how, that, how much noise, um, you know, behind the scenes, in addition to all the noise that was in the streets, obviously, really played into into their planning. Um, you know, I think this is a, such a huge event that caught a lot of people by surprise, um, caught the police by surprise, even though with all the intelligence reports they were getting about just how long that would last, I think it's surprising uh, by how surprised they were. But what I found that really stood for me the past couple of days was to find out that not only were they, you know, I think they could potentially be forgiven for not being fully prepared um, a few days ahead of time, maybe, I'll give them that, but the fact that by by Sunday uh, they still didn't have a plan, by February 9th they still didn't have a plan, you know, a remotely workable plan, um, one that was deemed, you know, characterized as too aggressive. Uh, so, so I think, you know, the the fact that all this has seemed to have been torpedoed, the response was really torpedoed by by these rivalries and infighting and and suspicions and lack of trust and and competition. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether that continues with other levels of government, um, you know, whether whether Ford gets drawn in to that and therefore may, may want to respond, as, as Tonda mentioned. Um, and at one point, we, we really shift more towards the central question of the inquiry, which is not 
really a postmortem of what went wrong with the Ottawa Police Service, although we are getting plenty of that. Um, it's whether the Liberal government was essentially justified in invoking the Emergencies Act. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to a closer examination of that question. Okay, and Tonda, again, you're at the Commission. What are you keeping an eye out for uh, next week? Yeah, well, all of that, everything that Joanna outlined are key questions. I mean, I think that, you know, the, the, the picture that's emerging here is, yes, even though it's not, you know, the, the main focus of the inquiry, the political and practical dysfunction at the level of the Ottawa City Police and the Ottawa City Council and their interactions with their partners at the OPP and the RCMP are perhaps what ultimately may at least politically if not legally justify the invocation of the act but that's for the government to or the judge to determine and maybe the government to defend but you know that's that's where i'm trying to understand this story like maybe there are a few outcomes either the government was not justified was it justified or was it justified by circumstances that's not a you know circumstances may or may not be sort of a, a legal thing at the end of the day does any of that matter really it's going to be a political sort of court of opinion judgment that will will carry forward on this whether how easy it's going to be for any future government to use to invoke these special powers because I have a feeling that um, you know that is also one of the the big pieces in Rulo's mind about setting out a framework for when this thing should be when this these powers should be used interesting conversation really appreciate the insight uh, Tonda McCharles Joanna Smith thank you for the time thank you thanks Michael have a good weekend guys and that is our program this evening. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for joining us. I'm Michael Serapio. We'll see you again tomorrow.